What's up, everyone? As we wait for our guest, Sam Esfandiari, today, I'll bring on our, our, our first caller, Kevin. What's going on, Kevin? How you doing? Kevin, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? What's going on? Hey, just wanted to get a quick question in while I'm at work. Quick, uh, let's do it. I know with all all the Udoka stuff, I'll probably leave you to talk about that. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on the potential if uh, Ben Simmons could be moved if he doesn't figure it out anytime soon. It's a very fair question. Um, as we get Sam in the queue here, he's in the room. You're going to be getting him on stage on stage shortly. And then we'll fully dive in. But with Ben, I mean, look, I talked to a lot of people around the league yesterday on the phone. I went to uh, Barclays Center pregame and hung out. I honestly left uh, after halftime, but hung out there, made some more calls, strolled around the the perimeter of the court as as you do pregame and People were there and people were talking and it, it was supposed to be this big moment where, oh, what a crazy wild story that unfolded. And honestly, I was struck by how just run of the day, run, run of the mill, any other day, you know, the energy felt in that, in that arena. And a common theme that people did talk about, though, was forget about all this mess. Forget about Kyrie's craziness for a second. But Ben Simmons not being Ben Simmons is arguably the biggest path uh, or the biggest thing standing in Brooklyn's path um, to becoming a a viable threat in the Eastern Conference. And honestly, I I don't think he's got any real trade value at this point. I was talking to a team who has designs to rebuild um, Monday night when I was at Barclays Center, just looking ahead to – what the week was to come and like I asked that question and I was told pretty point blank like that they that they would have been interested in him before the season started and seven eight games in now that 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 kind of that interest had dissipated so he's one of the biggest pieces that is standing in the way of this team being good aside from all the other chaos around it the connection that Ime Udoka has to Ben Simmons um, from their year together in Philadelphia is a big thing, uh, I think, in the accounting uh, on Brooklyn side of things and trying to bring him in. But in terms of can he get traded, will he get traded, what would actually happen in terms of a return for Brooklyn, I think very little. As we welcome our guest, Sam, I'm going to butcher your last name. I'm going to get it right, I think. Esfandari, <laughs> is that it? Esfandiari. You're pretty close. Esfandiari. Esfandiari. Uh, Warriors podcast fame. Um, originally, we wanted to put together a silly show with I got a big <laughs> rib right here next to me. I took a bite already. It's got the onions. It's got the pickles. It's got the sauce. It's it's the McRib, the, the farewell tour. I saw a tweet of yours that you were a big fan of the McDonald's staple that is now going to be leaving us, unfortunately. Um, and the Warriors aren't very good. So that's what we originally planned to talk about. And obviously... The NBA has other things in mind, but how you doing, man? Thanks for sticking to our schedule and uh, and coming by. 
One, I appreciate you having me. Two, yeah, I was excited. Tomorrow's tomorrow's my birthday. I had grand plans of getting a McRib and watching the Warriors and Magic. And, you know, I'll probably still get a McRib, but I'll be far less interested in watching that game. Um, but anyway, you slice it. Yeah, I didn't, didn't really see the Nets thing coming. Um, and it's kind of hard to talk anything else right now, right? Yeah. If you hear me chewing, I just took another bite. The McRib is good. It's not the highest quality pork sandwich of, of my life, but it always hits. Uh, it always hits. <laughs> the real question is how you're going to feel afterwards. We'll we'll see. We'll see if it if it's a high energy day for you or you're, you're just kind of you're, you're going to take it off. My contact, who Brad, who's in the who's in the room right now, who was responsible for this gift that I have received today, um, he told me. That the that the delivery window stops after lunchtime because they just couldn't they weren't willing to uh, to put the night sweats of the nip rib on people's uh, agenda for this Wednesday, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's the you, you said you were surprised or weren't expecting this to happen. Like I tweeted this out yesterday, um, and I should hopefully have my story coming up soon uh, from the good folks at Yahoo Sports. Um, but I mean, this was something people were talking about 100%. This was, I mean, dating back to the, the playoffs, lost to Brooklyn, to Ime Udoka's, or lost to Boston, excuse me, to Ime Udoka's Boston Celtics. Um, there was a lot of talk between games three and four. Um, and then ultimately after game four about if Nash would be out and the repeated theme across the board was, well, he's not going to get fired. Maybe he would resign. And we spin it forward to the last week and a half where the team's record continues to plummet. Um, the energy does not seem to be good, right? Not a lot of smiles around Barclays Center in terms of uh, real optimism that this thing was turning around. There was definitely that talk about, oh, maybe Nash would, would step away. Over the weekend, there was some speculation that they lost to Indiana because you know, no one was expecting them to lose to the Pacers on Saturday. Come Sunday, there was a lot of whisper, oh, Nash could be out, Nash could be out, Nash could be out. I guess, you know, in, in playing the rumor mill game, like people in the league a lot of the times who are talking about this stuff, they don't have the full picture too. They're an assistant general manager at one team or a lower-level scout on another team, and they're just kind of happily playing whisper down the lane, right? Like – I mean, people did not. So let me let me ask you a question here, because yeah. yeah, that's that's been kind of a the overarching theme is you know like well when a team is is playing poorly and underperforming to expectations, the coach is kind of always on the hot seat, and you know that's kind of been the situation with the Nets for like a year now. Why Monday though? Because that he was let go, mutually parted, whatever you want to call it, after a win. Usually yeah. it's. You know, there's usually there's when it happens in season, there's like a loss and it's by a significant margin. And, you know, the GM's like, all right, it's time. They're no longer responding to him. For it to happen like right after they get their first win in two weeks was kind of weird. It was. And what I was going to say, but that was a, that was a very so, thoughtful, thoughtful interjection. I appreciate it. It's at the stage <laughs> well. Um, it's become pretty clear in my reporting that. Ime Doka was already having conversations with Boston officials before they fired Steve Nash. And I I have been told pretty categorically that the delay of the move had nothing necessarily to do 
with all the bullshit that is surrounding this team as it pertains to Kyrie Irving posting a link to an anti-Semitic film and then denying all accountability for what that does when he's using his platform to amplify those messages. It's the same reason why I asked a bunch of writers at in the media room last night, like, if you got offered a one-on-one sit-down with Kyrie right now, would it take it? A couple of them said, of course, like, absolutely. Like, I'm trying to get that done. And my thought has been, well, I don't want to give this guy any more breathing time, to be honest, right? I don't know if that's the correct answer. I don't know if that's what my answer would, my final answer would be in that moment. But right now, that's what I'm thinking. And for him to, we're going on a tangent, but for him to, for him to sit on a press conference stage and like, and say that he's demand that he needs to be treated like everyone else when he's also trying to use the same platform to be a voice for the voiceless. It can't have it both ways. So. All that has been such a you know shitstorm on its own front that there's been a lot of talk that this was delayed because of Kyrie, but I don't know necessarily why it waited until tip off or until after tip off against the Pacers game on Monday night. But I do know that he was essentially fired, as, or essentially, I mean, I think Brooklyn wanted to when they say mutual parting of ways. Very rarely right. there's a knock on the door. I mean. Very rarely there's a knock on the door and it's like, oh, gee, I I, I completely agree with you. Right, right. I, I, well, it's I like, say it it's like a say. breakup. It's like a breakup. We, we decided to mutually break up. It's never it's never a 100 percent mutual. But I do believe that when the subject of his tenure being over was broached to Steve Nash, he was accepting of it and ready to move on to a different chapter because this has not gone well. Um, and that's been the theme, like I said at the top, people around Nash who know Nash have said all along, he, they, they thought he would just walk away rather than get fired. And it turned out, it turned out to be somewhat. Um, but they, that's wanted Ime Udoka. And I think and there's, I mean, they're still working on final terms or whatever the process is of getting him out of his contract in Boston and getting a new one in Brooklyn while suspended and, and all that type of red tape. Um, I think, you know, Jock Vaughn is very well liked in that organization and him being put in this position to be quote unquote acting head coach while we're just, he's just keeping the seat warm, waiting for Ime Doka to come on board when Vaughn is considered around the league to be one of the, top head coaching candidates on benches around the NBA to just get passed over for someone who is currently on suspension under, you know, curious circumstances to say the least. And we'll get into that more. Um, I think a lot of the timing is just like, there is never a good time to, to, to fire your head coach in the sure. middle of a championship run. And maybe after a win, where there's a, a second night of a back-to-back and it's kind of a whirlwind anyway and you don't have to have practice in the morning, maybe it actually made it just easier to kind of rip the Band-Aid off to have a game that night and then a couple of days off before this road trip to try to get this. I mean, it, it does seem clear that they want him in the fold before this road trip will come in this weekend. So I don't know. That's my best stab at, 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 at explaining the, the whole timing sequence of it all. So you, you said a lot of things there, and I'm obviously very uh, curious to read 
to read the piece you're posting on it, which which isn't up just yet. Um, I think the first thing, well, I think the first, I guess I, I want to ask you questions because, uh, you're more informed on this than I could ever be. This is what I usually, um, I usually do this at the end. I usually flip it around and, and put myself on the hot seat, but let's do it. I'm ready. I, did you see the quote from Marcus Smart today? I did. I, and I can tell yeah. you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wedging in into my story because sure. I was expecting that type of sentiment to be revealed at some point in time. Yeah. So he does kind of get it. What I think, what my question is, and what I think the general public's question is, if what, what, if what Udoka did was warranted a suspension, how can he get hired by another job, but for another job while he's still suspended, either he did something, that you know clearly is unfitting of a head coach and he needs to not be employed as a head coach or that's not the case in which case he should probably still be coaching Boston I think that the confusion from Marcus Smart however he worded it and however you feel about his wording uh, I think it's that's like the natural response anyone would have because he did do a very good job as a coach last year like he did get Boston to the finals and those things so the the circumstances around that are just, I, I guess, confusion is the best way to put it. Yeah. And I think, look, when I started getting on the phone yesterday after the news broke, I I was pretty struck by the number of people both around Brooklyn and, and Boston and then people who just have crossed paths with Ime Udoka or call, consider him a friend or in, in his orbit who have said – something to the effect of along the lines of we don't really know if his suspension was commensurate with the crime and everyone has agreed all those people that I spoke with agreed that what he did was uh, below board right I mean there are I'm going to pick my words very carefully in this segment of the show Uh, but there are you know, true troubling dynamics about a male superior having a romantic relationship with a female subordinate. And I think, I don't know how to, I don't know if there's a, a, I don't know if this is my lane to write about, but I'll definitely say here because it's something I've been thinking about lately. When we saw it with the Robert Sarver investigation bearing details in Phoenix and Rob Murphy's had a situation in Detroit there League general manager, the Josh Primo thing from a couple, I mean, last week, I mean, it's just, it's just been a lesson. Yeah. yeah, it just, it's, it's, it's just been a thing after thing after thing in the league tries to uphold itself as this, the, the logo that stands for morality compared to all these other professional sports leagues. And they've been rightfully trying to increase the diversity of the personnel that fill these teams, but clearly they haven't done, there, there hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been a smooth transition. And I, I, it's not surprising to me that people in and around the NBA don't necessarily think what Ime Doka did was wrong in that these were two consenting adults who made a decision and this is a highly competitive, highly lucrative, 
highly flashy celebrity filled industry where I mean, people are traveling on the road night after night after night and meeting new people and having different partners of the, of the night, right? Like that's just what happens in the NBA. I mean, people call it road work that you've got someone in a city here and someone in a city there. And who's, I mean, there, there are many people who have who dabble in this and that and it's all good but when it happens in the workplace especially with someone who's around the team and the traveling party it doesn't set a good environment like objectively across the board for a conducive workplace and and a communal group coming together to achieve a common goal and there's already so much power and uh, politics laced into moving your way up in this industry. I had an assistant coach yesterday asking me, how does he get his name out there to be a head coaching candidate without being shameless of plugging himself along the way? It's a, it's a, those are conflicting ideals, right? You have to both put yourself out there, but you can't seem like, so when you lace that into all this too, it's a very, it's obviously a precarious, precarious, precarious dynamic to have a superior, engaging in that type of behavior with a subordinate. But I mean, workplace relationships happen across the board, across the country, across the world. And because this is a public sphere that is in a league that is supposed to be um, standing on this moral high ground, it gets blown into uh, a serious but larger talking point than it would have in other arenas. I think that's just, I think that's fair to say. So I'm going to wrap this up by saying it's super complicated, obviously. (laughs) And I just was struck by how many people around the league and with intimate knowledge of the situation were along the lines of Marcus Smart thinking, and and even someone with Brooklyn telling me this morning, like, well, maybe the crime that he committed, you know, quote unquote crime, because he didn't do anything illegal. Um, Maybe his misdeeds that were worthy of a season-long punishment in Boston, maybe they're not for us. And I think that just spells out all, all you need to know about how the NBA and particularly the Brooklyn Nets are looking at this situation in comparison to people like Marcus Smart, who... I, I, the, Nets, if, the Nets' position yeah. is our PR is already in the toilet, so what do we have to lose? <laughs> I mean, pretty level. Much, yeah. I mean, pretty much, yeah. And look, if this doesn't work out, this is clearly also something that's a, a theme in my article that should be posted shortly. Like, if this doesn't work out, this is clearly signaling uh, a Hail Mary, a, a last dart throw to try and make this Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving lead to championship success in Brooklyn. Like, that's clearly what it is because – to be willing to take on the storm, like you're saying, it's both one, a steer into the curve and say, I mean, our PR is already so bad, like, you know, just like you just said. Um, but it's also like we're willing to take on this story because it will be a story. It will continue to be a story. Every, I mean, Imidoka is going to have to speak twice every game day in a different market where you can bet that someone will be asking him something because it's their turn. He's in their city to, t- right. to tackle this subject. 
Um, so you're willing to take on that extra story while you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as their own already. Kyrie off the court, on the court in terms of his commitment and him being in a contract year and whatever. Ben Simmons' slow start, Kevin Durant, people in the league discussing him as being on on the diving board, deciding whether to jump about a trade request again. I'm not reporting that, but I'm saying that's how people are conducting themselves. Like, you must really think Ime Udoka is your only shot or else this is all over to, to, to pull I this mean, move and, and make this higher. And obviously, uh, given the circumstance around Udoka, and again, they're, he's, he's currently suspended and under investigation. So it's not like other, you know, he's not, he's not a highly sought after coach right now. Um, could they even, like, what, what coaches would even want to take that job? in the context of they just fired their head coach. We don't know if Ben Simmons can play basketball at a high level. Like he looks physically limited, but who, who really knows what's going on there with him? Is it physical? Is it mentally? Anyway, you slice it, he doesn't look like the guy he was in Philly like two, three years ago. And just the, the whole, the whole job has to be very unattractive. If you're a sought after coaching candidate to begin with. Yeah. A lot of people will say, why not Quinn Snyder? Why not? I mean, if he, I, I've been told Quinn had two years left on his deal when he walked away sure. from Utah. But if you really wanted to get him, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And if, if they're able to figure out a way to contractually get Emi Doka out of Boston, they'd be able to get Quinn Snyder, right? Right. Um, but know, would he even want will, to? It's kind of like exactly, your, your, exactly. your question. Exactly. Why would he want that job? That guy's going to be arguably the most sought after top tier head coaching candidate um, around the league this summer. Apologies. I got to let a package man in. One second. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's a, that's an interesting point. If you're kind of a coach with options, um, does taking the Nets job five days after Kyrie has committed his latest Curious action off the court. I'll just put it as politely as possible. Yeah. Um, and it will, and, and it will yeah. also, it will also have an impact on like the general coaching market next summer too. Being that, like, I mean, there could very well be a new GM in, in Brooklyn if, if things go super, super south. So maybe Ime is not there anyway. But sure, right now the guy hiring you might not even be there in twelve months. Yeah, yeah. So that's a whole nother situation. But like, I was talking to. Uh, a head coaching candidate, let's say, last night, um, who said, well, E-Main and Brooklyn's off the board now. Like, there will be a ripple effect to that. There will now be other teams who might have even had him on their list who are looking at – there will be there will be ripple effects to that. But, I mean, it's just a bad job, to your point. Like, this is a lose-lose. The only scenario that gets you out of this is if, if – he made Doka can make lightning strike twice, and that he he did take an eleven seeded team in the East come like January twenty third, I believe it was last year, all the way to right. two wins shy of the NBA Finals. So he's been and and there was he was calling out players in the press, and he was you know he's definitely smart, displayed had, the the type of personality to be able to take on strong personalities. So. Which is probably what yeah. you want for the Nets. Um, that's exactly yeah. I mean, that's been the the repeated 
I don't know, company line, I guess. But I, but I, 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 I company line has like a, uh, a connotation that like it's bullshit. I really do think the Nets believe that. I think they believe that. I mean, he he was there. He had a lot of success communicating with those players. He showed it in Boston, not only the ability to turn around, but to get those guys to buy in and lead the league in defense last year. Right. And he's got a relationship with Ben Simmons from Philadelphia from the season before he was in Brooklyn, um, where, um, I, I mean, Ine was, I think, baldly jumping from San Antonio to Philly to Brooklyn to try to get the head coaching job that he got in Boston. Um, but he was able to relate to Ben there too. So they're, they're, they're definitely hoping he can be a new voice. Like Jacques Vaughn is only the acting head coach. He's not the interim head coach. There's a big difference in that. Same way that certain executives don't have a president title where they're just the GM because they're, they're sure. leaving the option open to either dangle a carrot to, pr- to promote you or to hire someone above you. Like Jacques Vaughn's not the guy. They wanted a new voice, and they think his is the type of voice that they absolutely need in order to, to turn this thing around. And they probably should go external any way you look at it, just because, like, everything around that team's been kind of underachieving the last year. So, I mean, that's taking all the off-the-court stuff out of it, which is very difficult to do with Brooklyn. Like, if, if it's not working and it feels kind of lethargic in every aspect, which it does when you watch them, like they're not in, they don't look like they enjoy playing basketball together. They kind of look like they're going through the motions, you know, my turn, your turn type of stuff. Like bring in a new voice. Maybe it works. Like you said, maybe, maybe he strikes lightning twice. Um, all right. Enough Brooklyn stuff. <laughs> um, well, actually, no, we'll take Kyle's question, which I imagine is about Brooklyn. And then we'll wrap this up with Golden State. Kyle, what's going on? Kyle, you're on mute, man. All right. Matthew's in the queue now, so we're going to go to Matthew and hope we can come back to Kyle. Kyle, or Matthew, what's going on? Hey, guys, you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. How you doing? Yeah, hey, hey, how you doing, guys? Um, yeah, one question on the Brooklyn thing. Um, it seems like like they didn't have a choice um, because I think Aduke, um is probably the best candidate for the team right now because he was an assistant, and I think the reason he's um, they're hiring him is because I think KD wants him. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, guys? Uh, and thanks for the call. Yeah, you got it. Mark said publicly that he didn't uh, consult any of the players before making the hire. I, I would have to imagine there's been some type of, you know. Do you believe him? Someone told me yesterday that Katie didn't know what was happening. Um, and that he hasn't really been consulted. But, like, the relationship's there. Obviously, I think – Sean Marks at some point in time had some form of communication with Kevin Durant to learn that he'd be on board with this, right? But in terms of like, did Sean Marks call KD on Monday and say, "Hey, do you want it? We're, we're firing Steve. Is that cool with you? Uh huh. Uh huh. You know, we're about to hire you. Uh huh. Uh huh. I don't think that happened. No. No. It would, it'd be much more indirect than in that fashion. But anyway, 
Yeah. Um, well, speaking of Kevin Durant, former Golden yeah, State Warriors. Yeah, absolutely. Like that transition. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a team that's letting me down, man, because I have a – I can say this publicly. I'm going to pool very low money from pool with some friends from college where we pick all the teams in a snake draft. Um, and whoever has the most wins at the end of it wins. It's like everyone – five people, everyone gets six teams. Golden State – my pick, number two pick in the draft. They're Ooh. letting me down, man. And you got to be. I mean, I'm just gonna put it on. I'll, I'll, I'm going to cut you off. Why don't you go ahead and say what you're gonna say? I was just gonna say I'm gonna. I'm just gonna put on the table very broadly. Why are they killing me in my pool, man? Why aren't they I think you need to gone? use your uh, your status as a national reporter to campaign for less James Wiseman minutes. That's what. That's what needs to happen. That's the only way you're going to hit the over. Um, they're trying to integrate young players. And, um, you know, they, they let go of a couple players who were really valuable to them during the playoff run last year, namely uh, Gary Payton II and Otto Porter. And they're replacing them with guys who are either new or young. Like Wiseman has played like a thousand minutes of organized basketball in the last four years. So, um while I, you know, while Steph looks amazing and, you know, Draymond looks healthy and good, um, it's kind of just like they have six players who they can count on and everyone after that is uh, to be determined and it hasn't started out so well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Andre Godala seems to be there to kind of play camp counselor, honestly, Yep. in terms of Helping not even not even, a, not even pretending crew. he's going to suit up anytime soon, you know. <laughs> so, which is fine. I mean, there's been, I think across the league, there's been a clear, obvious divide in the veteran teams that know this is a marathon that want to be there at the end who aren't taking the regular season very seriously. I mean, the Clippers with Ka- with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, obviously, don't value these games as much as teams like Utah, where Larry Markkinen and Kelly Olynyk and Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley are rallying around being overlooked and undervalued and are taking their opportunity under a new head coach and running with it. I mean, it's just – I'm honestly been surprised Phoenix is out to such a hot start with their – back-to-back, you know, brutal ends to the postseason run and the Jay Crowder stuff hanging over everything. Like, they've been kind of a, a revelation in all this. Where like, I'm not saying the Warriors aren't try, aren't trying to win games, but I think they do recognize the bigger picture and, and, and recognize that they're going to need the Moses Moody's and Jonathan Kamingas of their franchise to play meaningful minutes throughout the postseason, just like Jordan Poole did a year ago. They're going to try to re- re- recreate and repeat what they yeah, did. Yeah, that's year. that's the interesting part. They're trying to do the whole two timeline thing. They love to talk about it. Um, last year, for all their you know integrate youth and try to do two timeline thing, only one young player played in their playoff rotation, and that was Jordan Poole. It was, you know, the, the core guys who, who've been there the whole time. 
um, a bunch of veterans, you know, some journeymen, some less journeymen. Uh, and then Jordan Poole was the one, you know, 22-year-old player who actually had a role in the rotation. Um, now it's, you know, they're, they're trying to put multiple young players in. Moses Moody, James Wiseman. Kuminga's actually not even getting on the floor because uh, they tried to play all three of them together. And it was just, I mean, they looked like they looked like a lottery team because that's what lottery teams do. They put three guys who are 20 years old on the floor together. And so... Kuminga's been the guy who's the odd man out right now, and who knows how long that'll go. They're, you know, they're Steve Kerr is good at kind of um, trying to temper people and be like, long season, he'll get his opportunities, and don't read into him not playing right now, and that sort of stuff. And you know, you, you can believe him however much you want, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of what they're doing. They they kind of gave up vital pieces of what was a championship rotation, and maybe maybe by midseason, you know, it pays off for them, or maybe by midseason they're looking at it being like, if we don't acquire a couple veterans for the bench, we're not going anywhere in the playoffs. Yeah. And this is a long year. And I think the Warriors certainly subscribe to the idea that a lot of franchises do and front offices do that. Your, your roster is not complete on opening night. And they've been active at, I think throughout this tenure, I'm making small moves here and there, and there'll be a buyout candidate team anytime a veteran hits the open market. Um, but the Gary Payton and the out of port departures, like you mentioned, how 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 real they they've been in terms of an impact. Like this, it's sure. also a financial thing, right? We we gotta, you know, all all the attention gets put on can they pay Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steph Curry, and less gets placed off of the players that get sacrificed to do that. Um, and there was a number that Golden State wouldn't match to keep Gary Payton. I don't know exactly what it was, but I knew if it got to roughly $10 million a year, they weren't going to even think about it. That's what he got from Portland. Otto Porter, I believe, got tax the full pay, The taxpayer, the six. In, yeah, 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 the, the, the taxpayer, yes. Yeah. But he got all of it. So, yeah, not the yeah. – you know what I'm saying? Not the full big mid level, but he got all the well. And that's why, um, and all, all, all. And the, that's why. It, yeah, I was gonna say that's where it ties go. a little into the the lottery picks they're trying to develop. You know, uh, GP two signed for what, like nine point five or something like that. It was it was less than ten. It was it was a little more mm -hmm. than nine. James Wiseman makes nine point five million because he was the number two pick three years ago. Jonathan Kuminga, you know, as the number seven pick a year ago, gets about six million, which is what Otto Porter gets. You know, they're already so far over the tax, but I do think that calculus comes into it a little bit. It's like we took this guy in the top ten. Are we going to sign someone for as much money as we're paying them just to block them in the rotation? Um, you know, if your goal is championship, you, you're not really thinking about age and. Uh, and you're just kind of thinking about which player is giving me the best bang for my buck with my final goal. But if you're trying to think about it in this two timeline plan, which they do, they clearly think they can, they can have Kuminga be a, you know, Gary Payton replacement. They're different players, obviously, but like replace those minutes that he was giving them in the playoffs last year by next playoffs. And I don't know, it, it's November 2nd. He looks, he kind of looks like he's 20, you know, kind of doesn't look like he's ready for that, but we'll see where they end up by the end of the year. Yeah. And 
the Wiseman, the Wiseman pick will be debated and evaluated until you know throughout his tenure in, in Golden State and probably throughout his entire career. That's just what happens when you're a top pick and you don't meet expectations. And he hasn't obviously throughout his first couple of years in the NBA, um, especially in the contrast of. Anthony Edwards doing what he's done in Minnesota. And obviously, didn't have a chance to get him, but Lamella Ball in Charlotte and Tyrese Halliburton continuing to kind of blossom with the Pacers. But this is just the situation. I mean, I mean the Warriors made this bad, and they're they're and no one's going to have sympathy for uh, them. You know, some no, one's, no one has exactly. sympathy that they didn't luck into you know the next franchise cornerstone the one year they decided to take. So, yeah. And it seems to have one in Jordan Poole already anyway. I, I, I think, obviously, his, sure. let's go there. I mean, his defense is, leaves a lot to be desired. But I've, I've been a personal big fan of him since his freshman year at Michigan. Um, and I honestly thought he should have been a lottery pick. So I, and I won some money betting against a scout uh, that he would be a first-rounder. And he oh, barely you, got you in there. Oh, must have been sweating, like must have been sweating when they were getting up to like 26, 27. It was it was a no biter, but um, got got a nice dinner out of that one. And I don't know, there's just very very few players who do what he does with, with the ball in his hands offensively. Obviously, um, not just scoring, but I think as a playmaker too. I think his playmaking for everyone else around him gets very underlooked. Similar, honestly, to Trey Young. Like I'm not calling him Trey Young, but like in terms of a young player who got a lot of hype for what he did scoring-wise and highlights and step-back threes and whatever. Like, I think coming up – now Trey's widely known to be – I mean, I think he's led the league in assists the last couple of years. But Jordan Poole, I think, and that is that type of lead ball playmaker guy. I don't know. You watch him way more closer than I have. Am I off base? I don't know that go Trey Young level, but I do think – there. look, he could average – he could average well over 20 points per game if he was on a team where he wasn't coming off the bench. Like he, uh, look, he's, get, he's getting paid as if he's a starter. So I don't think, I think ultimately everything's okay there, but it's, uh, I do think when you look at other young guards around the league, he's a lot closer to the ones who we define as all-stars, like the Darius Garlands of the world, the, um, I think who else like a Jamal Murray. I know he's had a, you know, he's just off of a year injury. I, I do think he's that type of explosive talent. And yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's got off to a little bit of a slow start, but I mean, he was probably their second best offensive player in the playoffs. Like best all around was definitely Wiggins, but like how many, how many separate 30 point games did Poole have in the playoffs? Like, there's not a lot of guys who can just go into a Western Conference Finals series and give you a very efficient 30. So say what you want about the defensive shortcomings. Like, explosive is the way you would define them. Explosive indeed. Maybe that will define me after <laughs> um, Sam, anything else that you've been wanting to get off your chest about Golden State, about this team, about the NBA? We've kept you long enough. Uh, Let's see. No, no. Uh, I think I'm just overwhelmed. I think I'm. I think I'm done with the Nets story. To be honest, like I need less. I need less Nets in my yeah. life. I, 
if they could go a week without doing something that makes them dominate the headlines, that would be amazing. Um, just because I don't think they're a particularly good team, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. And, you know, it's it's not fun to talk about a team who's fighting for the play-in on repeat. For not yeah. basketball reasons, by I the think way. I think a lot of people share – yeah, oh, I think a lot of people – Share your sentiment about that and the Lakers. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I was prepared to write a little story about the Pistons and Bojan Bogdanovic this week. So I was looking elsewhere, and then obviously things took a turn. But, Sam, I appreciate you being amenable to go a little bit off uh, your radar of full expertise. But thank you for the Warriors gospel. <laughs> Absolutely. Have a good you. one. And um, good luck with the McRib the rest of your day. Thank you, man. Wait, before you go, plug anything. Yeah, just um, plug. check out the, the Light Years podcast. Um, we go a lot. We, we, we post an episode after every Warriors game. Uh, good way to follow along with the team. Uh, if you so feel inclined, you can even call into the show live on YouTube. Uh, that's about it. Thanks, Jake.